Well, this morning, we are continuing on in our study of the first, uh, first John, the first letter of the Apostle John to the early Christians. And we're considering how we are to live in this world on the other side of Easter. In other words, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John, as you will recall, has, is writing to Christians towards the end of the first century. This is anywhere from 50 to 60 to 70 years after the ministry of Jesus Christ. John was a very young man when he followed the Lord. He was the youngest of the disciples, maybe even a teenager. And at the time of this writing, when he was writing 1 John, the gospel had spread throughout the known world, the Roman world anyway. And John was writing to Christians who had been put into a state of confusion by false teachers. There was a false teaching at that time uh, called Gnosticism, and it was one of the most dangerous heresies to confront the early church. Essentially, Gnostics believed that all of spirit, spirit was completely good, and matter, that is anything like our bodies, the world, the physical world, was all evil. And out of this belief, core belief, came a number of different false teachings. But this, the essential ones that John was confronting was that uh, salvation was obtained by separating the spirit from the body. These teachers denied that the divinity of Jesus Christ, and it, some of them gave license to moral living. In essence, they said, hey, my body isn't connected to my spirit, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It's sinful anyway. You see the reasoning? And John says, no, not so. You recall that uh, Pastor Eddie preached to us a, that, a few weeks ago about that. Naturally, this was causing confusion and doubt among the believers. How were they to know what to believe? So John wrote this letter to reassure them of the truth that they had been taught about Jesus and salvation in him. Now, as we've mentioned before, John did not write from second or third-hand knowledge. He wrote as an eyewitness to the life, the ministry, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. As one of John's inner circle of disciples, John had listened to his teachings, witnessed his miracles. He was there at the cross, and he saw the empty tomb. He was there when Jesus appeared to his followers after the resurrection. And he was there again on the day of Pentecost when the promised Holy Spirit descended with power and purity upon the believers. When Peter preached and 3,000 were added to their number, John was there through the exciting early days when the church was growing and miracles were happening and the believers were eagerly expecting the imminent return of Jesus. But he was also there when persecution began, when his own brother James was killed by the sword at Herod's command, when Stephen was stoned. And then as persecution began in earnest and the church began to scatter, 
out of Jerusalem, throughout uh, the surrounding areas. John was there. John was there through uh, when the church leaders had to decide how to treat Gentiles. So many non-Jews had come to believe. They had to say, hmm, what do we do with these people? John had seen it all, yet through it all, he had remained faithful to the gospel. And over the course of those years and the events that he witnessed, he had opportunity to think about Jesus' teachings, to come to a deeper understanding of what they meant. John, by this time, had seen not just James and Stephen, but many Christians killed for their faith in Christ, for their testimony. He had seen most, if not all, of the apostles die for their faith. So what does John have to say about what it means to be a Christian? What it means to persevere in the face of hardship, opposition, Here in today's scripture, he boils it down to one word, faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But let's take a look at the scripture itself. 1 John 1 to 5, reading from the New International Version. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep the commandments. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Who is that? Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is God's word for us today through the lips of John. Well, let's take a little closer look. To believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, to believe that he is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one sent from God to be the savior of the world. That's what it means to be born of God. In other words, spiritual birth. Think of Jesus' words to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be able to see through spiritual eyes. We are born into God's family by faith, by believing in Jesus and who he was. Everyone who loves the parent, and that is, in this case, God, loves the child as well. And John says this is how we know that we love the children of God. Well, you know who he's talking about. He's talking about Christians, other people in the church, other believers. He's talking about the people that are easy to love and the ones that aren't so easy to love. We know that we love the children of God. How? by how we feel. He's not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling here, folks. He says, by loving God and keeping his commandments. In fact, this is love for God. 
A definition of love for God is to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome because everyone born from above overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And you see, John has come full circle. He's back to where he started. Now, I have to confess to you that sometimes when I read John, whether it's his gospel or one of his letters, I think he talks in circles. And I, it helps me sometimes to dry, try and diagram his words. So we could maybe diagram the scripture like this. First of all, believing that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, let's call that faith. And faith manifests itself in loving God and his children. Let's just shorten that and call it love. So faith gives way or produces love. And love for God produces obedience, keeping God's commands. And what is obedience? Obedience is overcoming the world. How do we work and how do we overcome the world? By faith. So we can boil it down to four words faith, love, obedience, and overcoming or victory, and back to faith. For John, the Christian life begins and ends with faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we go on to talk about faith in more detail, I want to look back at the words obedience and overcoming. Because as I was doing this diagram and trying to figure out how to put it in an understandable way, for me, mind you, as well as for you, I'm thinking, why did John make obedience and overcoming the world equal? Why, are, why is he putting them on the same plane? Why is he saying that obedience is overcoming the world? Or, conversely, overcoming the world is obedience. And you have to understand that when John talks about the world here, he's talking about the spirit that is in the world that is against God, that is against Christ, that is against truth. He's talking about the lies of this world and everything that they produce. He's also talking about just the ordinary, everyday things that are in this world that can cause us to stumble and fall. Well, I think it may be that John was thinking about the teachings of Jesus here. You may remember Jesus' parable of the sower, And as he was explaining it to his disciples, he said this, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time because when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. John had seen lots of trouble lots of persecution, and yet he had staying power. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, 
that the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, there are many things that are part of this world that we live in that have the ability to cause us to stumble or even to turn away from the faith, to abandon our faith in God. Jesus recognized this, and before he went to his death on the cross, he tried to prepare his disciples for what was to come. You see, they really had not fully grasped what Jesus was talking about when he said he had to die. And he knows they were going to be thrown into confusion. But these were the men, and John was one of them, to whom he was trusting his mission on earth. So he had to be sure that they were as prepared as they could be. He warned them that they were going to face difficulties, trials, hatred, and persecution because of the gospel. And he didn't want them to become discouraged and quit. So he said to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then again, if the world hates you, remember, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus knew that his followers would face trouble and persecution, and he wanted them to be prepared. So how can we overcome? How can we persevere in the face of these trials, tribulations, persecutions, whatever, whatever form they take? How can we live in obedience to God? In other words, how can we live the kind of life that John is talking about? Self-giving love. Well, John's answer to both is the same. By faith in Jesus, the Christ. Now, John speaks here about with two aspects of faith that are really important for us to understand. In uh, verse 5, you'll say, he says, this is the victory that overcame, come, that has, excuse me, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Here he is talking about the faith that brought us to believe in Jesus Christ, our initial faith. Okay? That's how we, be, how we become born of God, become children of God. But then he speaks of ongoing or overcoming faith, faith for the long haul. Listen, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes and continues to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, by faith we're born into God's family. By faith we live victoriously in God's family. So let's talk about faith. First of all, faith is not scrunching up your eyes, crossing your fingers, and believing really, 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 really hard that something you want will happen. 
You may remember in the uh, stage production of P Peter Pan how at one point Tinkerbell uh, drinks some poison and her light begins to fade. She's about to die. And Peter Pan goes around to the ed edge of the stage and he looks out and speaks directly to all the children who are watching and he says, children, do you believe in fairies? If you really believe, that's the only thing that will save Tinkerbell. And her light continues to fade, but then it comes a little bit stronger, and he says, come on, come on, you've got to really believe. And every child, you can bet, every child who's watching says, I believe, I believe, I believe. And what happens? Well, you know, the story, Tinkerbell recovers. Well, that's not faith. That's a fairy story. It's a story, and that's not what John is talking about. Nor is it a good feeling about an upcoming game, or election, or something else I desire. We might say, I have faith. I just know my team is going to win this game. I just know my candidate is going to win. They're bound to. I just know I'm going to get that promotion. Or I know my boyfriend's going to propose this weekend. Or if you're the fellow, I know my girlfriend's going to say yes when I propose. Sayings and affirmations about faith abound in our culture. We see them online and on T-shirts. Have faith. Keep the faith. Believe. Well, this is not the kind of faith that John is talking about at all. Let's look at what faith is. First of all, a dictionary definition. Okay, The first definition we come across in the dictionary is this, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Now, you may not think about it, but we exercise faith every day of our lives. We get into our car and head out to work or to run errands or to visit a friend with complete confidence that our car is going to get us there and back safely and most of the time, our confidence is well-placed. We put our money in the bank with complete confidence that it's going to be there when we need it. We have confidence in cars and banks and lots of other things because of our experience with them, right? We've tried it. It works. We know, okay? But there is a second dictionary definition of faith, and that is a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. And it's this definition we're going to talk about, but we're going to phrase it how the Bible does. The biblical definition is found in Hebrews 1.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you will recall that scripture, the writer goes on to list all the great people in the past, Noah and Abraham and others who lived by faith and served God, obeying him for many, many, many years without seeing the end result of their faith. Okay. But they were assured that God would bring them to pass. And then the, the writer to the Hebrews gives this example of faith. 
By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now, if we share that faith about God, about who God is, how can we not have faith in his son, Jesus Christ? Well, let's look at some of the other characteristics of what this real faith is. First of all, we've already said that John does not speak of faith in a general sense, but in a very specific sense, believing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, there are many people who believe in Jesus in the sense that they believe he he lived about 2,000 or so years ago, that he did a lot of good things, that he had a lot of good things to say. Some of them even believe he was a prophet but they don't believe that he was the son of God. Believing in Jesus in John's world, in John's sense, means that we believe he was the Christ. Christ, When we say Jesus Christ, we're not talking about Jesus Christ and Christ is his second name. We are talking about a title. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah, the savior of the world the Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. In fact, Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate proof that Jesus was and is who he said he was. Now, some of you are probably old enough to remember um, President Nixon and his uh, rather ignominious departure from office. And one of... Nixon's lawyers was a man named Charles Colson or Chuck Colson as we name him, know him rather. And during this whole period, and that went over that whole Watergate thing went on for a long time. Chuck Colson was contemplating the claims of Christianity. Now you have to understand that he had a reputation for being ruthless. He was described as the man that would throw his own mother under the bus, or his own grandmother at least. But he had friends who were Christians, and they had been talking to him about what it means to be a Christian. And he, being a lawyer and having a very logical mind, tells of how he, one day he went out in his car and he took a legal pad and he divided into two columns, and he wrote down the pros and the cons. Why he should believe, why he shouldn't believe. But do you know what the ultimate deciding factor was for Chuck Colson? This was immediately before or right after Nixon's uh, resignation. Chuck Colson was right in the middle of all that. And he recognized that men were not willing to die for a lie or something they knew to be a lie. You see, in Jesus' day, the Jews tried to explain away Jesus' resurrection by saying, well, his disciples came and stole his body. But Chuck Colson knew that men would not die 
for something they knew to be a lie. Because all around him, he saw people leaving the administration like rats fleeing a, a sinking ship. He knew how men acted. And it was that that brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. And we know what an influential Christian Chuck Colson became, how, how he served the Lord with all his being from then on. We are living in the shadow of Easter. We're living in the resurrection days. This is what it means. Then we, we need to believe that Jesus is one with God the Father. How do we know this? Well, he said so. Jesus boldly stated, I and the Father are one. And again, to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, it was for claiming to be God that he was crucified. That's what he was convicted of by the Jews. Romans couldn't have cared less, but they wanted to please the Jews. And it was his statement that he was God that led to his death. So if Jesus is one with God, that means that faith in Jesus must also be faith in God, in the person and the character of God. Let me explain what I mean. Earlier I used the example of driving a car as an example of common everyday faith. If I'm the driver, it means I have faith in the integrity of the car. That means it was well built. It's going to work the way it's supposed to work. When I put my foot on the brake, it'll stop. When I put my foot on the accelerator, it will go, etc. And that I know how to drive, right? Okay. But what about when uh, somebody else is driving? This morning, my husband drove me here. I had perfect faith, perfect confidence, complete confidence when I got into the car. Not only that the car was in working order and that it would do what it was supposed to do, but that my husband knows how to drive, that he will drive safely. He not only knows how to drive, but he has goodwill towards me. In other words, he's not going to set off and say, oh, well, I've decided we're not going to go to church this morning. We're going to go do this or do that. Or even worse, drive us into a ditch. <laughs> you see, when we say that we have faith in a person, we are expressing faith not only in their ability to do what they say they can do, but in their integrity, their goodwill, their good intentions towards us. We certainly don't want to put our faith in someone who is thinking evil towards us, right? So faith, to have faith in Jesus is to have faith in God and to have complete confidence that God is both all-powerful and all loving, that his every intention towards me is love. Faith in Jesus Christ also implies that Jesus is 
continually present with his followers through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, John could testify to the fact that he knew what these people had been taught about Jesus was true because John had known Jesus in person. He said, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. Okay? But his readers had not. They had to rely on his testimony. And we, who are living some uh, 2,000 years later, we certainly didn't know Jesus in person. Okay? But we have the Holy Spirit. You see, one of Jesus' promises to his disciples before he left the earth was, I'm not going to leave you alone. I will come to you. My Father will send you another comforter, not who will just be walking alongside you, but who will be in you. So there is a sense in which we have an advantage that even John did not have. We have the very presence of Jesus Christ living within us if we have believed on Jesus, who is the Christ. We might say this is Jesus in the present tense. Jesus in the here and now. We also read in in Hebrews that faith gets God's approval. Hebrews 11.2 says, Indeed, uh, by faith our ancestors received approval. And then a little later he says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Wow. Well, faith gets God's approval because faith is active. That is, it propels us to action. Earlier in this letter, John said, don't tell me you have faith if you don't act upon it. And James said the same thing. He said faith, he was very blunt, he just said faith without works is dead. It's not faith at all. And more importantly, faith produces actions that are pleasing to God. This is so important. If our actions, our deeds, the things that we say and the things that we do every day proceed from a heart that loves God and desires to please him, they will be right actions. They will be actions motivated by love. That's why Paul could say we're no longer under law but under grace. You've noticed that although John earlier said in his book that, uh, you know, Christians are not to go on sinning. We're not supposed to sin. But there's no long list of sins, no long list of do's and don'ts. Instead, he only speaks in a positive sense about living the life of love. I think perhaps he was thinking about what Jesus said. When someone asked him what the most important commandment was, he replied, Well, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. 
And you see, Jesus joined the two. We cannot say that we love God and not love our neighbor. We cannot say that we love our neighbor, other people, and not love God. The two are part and parcel of the same quality. Is it any wonder that when John wrote to these early Christians, he said so much about love? He was simply remembering what Jesus said. And at a distance of half a century or more of living and preaching and teaching about Jesus, John recognized that this was the heart of Jesus' message and that by his death and resurrection, Jesus had made it possible for us to have the kind of love made it possible for all who put their faith in him. Well, at this point, you may be saying to yourself, that's all well and good, but I'm not sure I could ever have that kind of faith. I've had people say to me, I I can't believe. I can't believe because this, because of that. Sometimes it's because I have a scientific mind, so I can't believe. I can't believe in the miracles. Sometimes it's because of things that have happened in their past when it seems that God has disappointed them. There are many reasons that people give for not believing. Well, I have really good news for you this morning. Faith is not something that you have to work up in yourself. Faith is a gift of God. Do you remember what we said that faith isn't? It isn't a matter of effort or feeling. Listen to the scripture again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, just as salvation is a gift of God's grace, made possible by Jesus' sacrifice, so also it's faith that enables us to believe. Faith is not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of the will. Will I believe or won't I believe? When God calls us to believe in Jesus Christ for a life that is pleasing to him, for salvation, for loving our brothers and sisters, for loving our neighbors as ourselves, for overcoming discouragement in difficult times, for You fill in the blank. What is the biggest challenge to your faith these days? God himself gives us the gift of faith. And remember, Jesus said it only takes a little bit. Smaller than this, the size of a mustard seed for God to do great things. He simply asks that we use it. There's so much more we could say about faith and its place in our lives, but let's get back to our text and John's main point. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Faith, that faith gives way to love or produces love, which produces obedience, which produces overcoming faith. So this question for us this morning as we sit here in our church. Isn't it wonderful to be together? Or watch uh, over uh, in our, by our computers or our phones, wherever we are. The question for us, 
nearly 2,000 years after John wrote this, more than 2,000 years. What do we do with it? Our world is really not so different than John's was. John lived in a very divided society. It was a very segmented society. There were the rich and the powerful, and they, the powerful of John's day, had the power of life or death over the citizens. There were the rich and the poor. There were people of all sorts from all different kinds of backgrounds, of all different ethnicities, all different stations in life, all different uh, plateaus of society, if you will. There were many different religions and beliefs in in that world. Christianity may have spread throughout the Roman world, but it was still in the minority. Believers were really a minority group at that time. So all around them, they had voices encouraging them to believe this or go this way or believe that. But John says, we live by faith. John, who was eyewitness to the testimony of Jesus, we have his testimony here. But we also have the example and the testimony of many, many other Christians down through the ages. People who have lived faithfully for Jesus Christ and the gospel. People who have died for the sake of the gospel. And if we look, we will find even in today's world, there are people who are standing faithful in the, in the face of persecution. Living on the other side of Easter means that we can have assurance that Jesus is alive and well today and that if we have come to believe on him, he lives in us. He is the present tense Jesus. He is Jesus for the here and now. We're not doing this in our own strength, folks. We're doing it in the very power by whom the worlds were created, by the power of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So what will you do this morning with this Jesus? What will you do with the faith that God offers us in abundance? That's the question for each one of us this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, for the confidence that we can have that you are in Christ, who is in us, that everything Jesus said he would do, he has done, that he can do, and that beyond our ability to comprehend, he loves us loves us so much that he was willing to give his very life for us, to die for us. And when he asks us to have that same measure of love, that same quality of love for others, he is living in us so that we can love in that way also. Lord, we thank you for the assurance of your presence within us for the gift of your faith, the faith that will enable us 
to stand before you one day and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, be with us as we go to our homes and out into the world. May we live and breathe and act in faith in Jesus, who is the Son of God. Amen.